Welcome to That Tech Pod, where we discuss all things e-discovery, data privacy, cybersecurity, and tech innovations. I'm Gabby Schulte, and I know next to nothing about technology. And I'm Laura Milstein, and I know a little bit about technology. That's why each week we're talking to heavy hitters in the industry to help us break down these topics. So today, Laura, who are we talking to? Today we're talking with Rachel McAdams. Rachel is an experienced e-discovery professional currently sitting within the data project group at AL Goodbody. As the legal technology and e-discovery senior manager for AL Goodbody, she advises on the use of technology as well as best practices for data-driven investigations and e-discovery. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be able to chat to you guys. Yeah. So, Rachel, before we get into the weeds here, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the industry? Sure, no problem. So, as Laura mentioned, um, I currently work at a law firm called A&L Goodbody in Dublin, Ireland, um, with the largest corporate law firm in Ireland, um, which obviously is very exciting. And I joined them a couple of years ago to help roll out um, some of our e-discovery technology offerings and grow the capabilities that A&L Goodbody had in that space. Um, Prior to that, I worked at Baker McKenzie, which is a global law firm, um, managing their e-discovery technology and projects in EMEA. And prior to that, I worked at the Big Four, and that was actually where I got my sort of break in e-discovery. I don't have any sort of legal or actually like formal technology background. Um, I actually have a a PhD in plasma physics. And when I finished my PhD, um, I I wanted to do something different. And I had just moved to Belfast in Northern Ireland, um, and I was looking for something to do. ended up being contacted by a recruiter for this big four company who was looking for people to work in the e-discovery team there. Um, They didn't care. I didn't have any experience or knowledge of what e-discovery was at all. They just wanted someone who, who they could teach. So I ended up going to work for them and learning about e-discovery and I really enjoyed it. So here I am, oh, eight years later, um, still enjoying it. <laughs> that's good. I mean, eight, eight years later and you're, you're still liking it. So, so that's, that's great. That's all anyone could hope for, for a yeah. job. <laughs> exactly. And it, the good thing about e-discovery is that, you know, it moves really fast. So things I was doing eight years ago, I might not be doing anymore, or I found better ways to do them um, to make it more enjoyable and to, you know, you want to cut out the boring parts or the manual parts and, automate or systemize those as best you can and just leave your attention on, you know, the exciting parts and the the consulting parts and, you know, talking to um, the lawyers in my firm about how they can use our technology or how we can customize our technology to do do things for them better. So that's, that's one of the good things about having experience is you get to find the parts that you like and do more of it. Um, and forget about the parts you don't like. That's, that's the fun part. You get to mix and match. Here's here's what we think works and here's what we think doesn't work. And everything is, e-discovery is constantly changing. So having the experience that you have and being able to adapt to that is is 
really important. Uh, and that brings me to a question that I I was thinking is, you know, you've consulted on numerous uh, regulatory investigations in multiple jurisdictions. Can you tell us a little bit about what that entails and more specifically, how, how are you responsible for scoping and, uh, you know, taking this data and, and just what do you what are you doing with these different things and how do you decide this is what's best this is what's not best um you know it, you're in a unique role being in in litigation support you're kind of that person that the lawyers are coming to and saying Rachel what do we do <laughs> and you kind of have to know all these things and so having i guess i just threw multiple questions at you but uh, yeah no i'll take a stab at it um i it kind of depends sometimes when you to know what to do and a lot of it can depend on where you are what regulator you're dealing with the experience you've had with them in the past whether you know they're open to you know using technology in exciting ways to try to get to what they what they want and how you explain it to them so some regulators will be super comfortable with it and say you know if you justify your approach then you know, that's great. We want to work with you to find out the best way to sift through all this data to find what we're interested in. Um, some regulators are a little bit more, um, I suppose, straight-laced in that they know what they want and they really want to understand what you've done to get there and they want you to justify what you've done. And, you know, there's a lot more engagement with them upfront about explaining you know, this is the technology we want to use. This is how we plan to use it. Here is evidence that this is how it works um, and why it works and that it's going to be successful. And here's what we plan to do if it's not successful. Um, so you're, you're covering a lot of sort of caveats about it and, you know, your plan A and plan B and how I know when I have to switch to plan B. Um, so, so, yeah, long-winded answer. Some of it depends on your regulator. Some of it depends on your client um, and how many times they've sort of been through this process before. You know, some clients may never have been investigated in this way before um, and you're trying to, you know, simultaneously with the legal team trying to walk them through it, make sure they know what they're doing and advising them the best way to do things legally. But you're also walking them through all this technology they've never had to to think about before or deal with before um, volumes of data they may not have had to think about before how they store their data you know it's surprising when you talk to clients you know you and you say you know where do you store all your files about this project and they say well do you know what? I have absolutely no idea and you have to go on a little you know wild goose chase through all the client systems to find out where Everyone who's ever worked on this project has keep is keeping their data, um, and some clients just you know they're not set up for that kind of investigation. You have to do a lot more work up front to say, you know, this is what the regulator is expecting from you, and this is how we need to go about it. So how do we sort of bridge the gap between what they want and what you have in place already? Um, and I think in general, what I found serves me best is just be organized and be methodical and keep the, you know, the people that you're dealing with on that methodical, organized track because you can deal with problems 
you know, there's there's always a way to deal with a problem where, um, you know, the data is hard to get to, or it's in a weird format, or, you know, they're not exactly sure where something is. But if you don't have a way of recording those problems, or even tracking that you've asked those questions, it's very hard to go back and partway through the investigation, work out what you did or didn't do. So, one of the really key skills that I think people underplay because it seems so obvious is just be methodical, be organized, know what questions you need to ask, know what answers you need to hear back, um, and make sure that you're taking everyone else on that journey with you. That's quite a long yeah. answer. I hope that made sense. <laughs> no, I think it did. And and actually, just to expand a little bit on that, um, you know, uh, how do you go about kind of designing a workflow? Because you mentioned, you know, you you mentioned kind of being organized and methodical. Methodical. So, how would you go about designing a workflow? Um, you know, in the most kind of efficient and smooth way. And what are the, some of the biggest challenges to that? And then what are some of the solutions that you found? So one of the great things about e-discovery is that at, underneath all sort of data projects for e-discovery or investigations, there's a, a process called the EDRM, which is the Electronic Discovery Reference Model. And that is sort of your basic workflow for everything you do in eDiscovery. And all your workflows, your processes, they sort of build off this basic flowchart. And it starts by saying, you know, identify the data that you're interested in, preserve it, collect it, process it, review it, and then produce it at the other end. And as you go from the start of the workflow to the end, you're narrowing down the volume of data that you're dealing with. So when you first start identifying the data that you might be interested in, there's going to be a lot of it spread over different systems. When you preserve it, you know, you're probably going to preserve a lot of that either in place in the client systems or or find some way to preserve it um, elsewhere. Then you're going to collect it. You might not collect everything you've preserved. You might just collect some of it. You're going to review it. You might not review everything you've collected and you're definitely not going to produce everything that you review. So you have this basic system of narrowing down the data um, to get to what you want at the end. So we're always sort of riffing off that. And some of the biggest challenges that you have are just, will we'll be really familiar to anyone who works in e-discovery. It's, it's data volume uh, and sort of tied to that deadlines. Um, a lot of the time clients will underestimate how much data they have um, or all the different places that it could be. And when you start digging into that and saying, okay, we need to look at email, we need to look at file shares, we need to look at you know, your SharePoint systems. They just don't realize that all this data is important and comes under the scope of the investigation. Things like mobile phones, you know, a lot of clients still don't realize if they're texting on their phones about this matter um, that a regulator is interested in, you know, that data is important as well. And we need a way to, to bring that into the fold. So the volumes and the types of data, that's always a, a potential for, for problems to slow you down. 
Um, and obviously, the more data you, you put into your workflow, the more data you're probably going to have to review later on. Um, so you want to have a really good handle on that and understand the implications of what you're doing for later down your process. If I collect two terabytes of email data now, am I going to have time to filter through all of that? Even if I'm using technology, am I going to have you know the time to get through it, to have people look at it? Or you know, is it going to push out my timeline so far that I'm going to completely miss the deadline and make the regulators angry? Um, and that's one of the tricky things, trying to balance you know, what the regulator requires us to do against the timelines they've given us to do it in. And again, you know, sometimes the regulator doesn't understand the implications of, or haven't considered the implications of saying, we want you to go away to 100 systems and find all this information, but you've got two weeks to do it. And then you have to, you know, decide how you're going to deal with that request. Is that go back to the regulator and say, this is what we're going to do, but it's going to take more than two weeks. Or do you do something so you can respond in two weeks and, and potentially have that response be incomplete in some ways? Um, so, yeah, volumes are, are typically the issue that we come up against the most. And dealing with them can be a combination of legally going back with the regulator and saying, hey, you know, this isn't going to work. Or it can be just a case of, using the technology as best you can to try to do as much as you can in in the time that they've given you. Yeah, no, that's that's all <laughs> good points. Um, I, I wanted to go back to, you mentioned the EDRM and I had a random just thought on that. So as, as somebody who's in the litigation part where you can kind of choose what tools to use and when, do you find it to be something that you would be open to or curious to use or, or, or do you use any tools that are only a piece of the EDRM or do you want to primarily, do you think it's better to use something that has sort of all of the EDRM in one tool? And I guess that's more of a technical question, but when you think EDRM, it is that that's the model that we use. And so when you're using a tool, you're using a relativity or you're using uh, any of these other tools that are on the market, you know, most of the time I think you use something that encompasses all of the EDRM, but it did make me think, what if a tool only had part of the EDRM? Would you not want to use it because of that? Or would it still be something that maybe makes sense to use as well with all the new tools that are coming out and all the changes that, that have been going on? I think that's a really good question. And to some extent, you you do want to pull as much into the same tool as you can. Um, if only because, you know, pushing data back and forth between different platforms can be time consuming. You, you know, you're um, trying to sync things up between different platforms. You're trying to push decisions between different platforms um, or results that the say you're using an AI tool on the side how do you push that stuff back into your review platform in a way that actually helps your review move forward and if it's not integrated with that review platform sometimes that can be a bit tricky to get your systems to talk to each other in the way that you want um, when we brought so the what we use in ANL Good Body is relativity and 
um, when we were looking at different tools to bring in, the key thing about relativity was that it did encompass more steps of the EDRM than other tools in a more integrated way. And that was important for us because at the time we were a very small technology team within ANL Goodbody, and we didn't really have the resources or the manpower to go away and buy three or four pieces of kit to be able to support them all at the same time and put in the effort to sort of make them all talk to each other. So it was really important for us to have something that made sense as a, an overall solution. But as our team grows and we become more embedded in in our firm and we see more successes with what we've done, you know, we do think, you know, that piece of kit, that looks really, really cool. We can do, you know, really cool machine learning things with that. We can see better uh, graphics or visualizations of our data. And, you know, it's going to be easier to hook the lawyers in and make them want to use it because it looks so cool. Um and at that point, I think when you're becoming more sophisticated as like a practice, having those additional bits of kit makes sense to expand what you can do. But at the start, it makes a lot of sense to have a tool cover as much of the, the process as you can so that you can, can really consolidate in that platform, become an expert in using it, and then branch out. But as you said, you know, there's lots of really interesting pieces of technology that are out there that even sit a little bit outside the core EDRM. So things like case management um, software that helps you push out, you know, after you've produced your documents to a regulator or you've produced them in court, how do you organize those and your case strategy around those documents? Um, and those are some of the things that that we're looking at um, as, as a firm and within our data projects group um, as to how we can extend the technology that we offer to make the whole process smoother and more efficient through technology. Yeah. So speaking of that a little bit, um, you know, obviously we're living in a global pandemic <laughs> right now. Uh, uh, in case anyone hasn't heard. Um, yeah, there's, pandemic going on. Um, and so how do you conduct, um, you know, a, an efficient investigation during a crisis like this? And what are some of the technologies that go into that? One of the things I think that people take for granted is being able to ship hard drives around. Um, we would regularly get hard drives from clients with data on that we would need to then plug into a computer in the office um, to upload the data to our, our review platform. And obviously now there's no one in the office um, to, to pick up those hard drives. So you're sort of changing the way that people think and encouraging them to transfer data around in a more efficient way. Um, we, we have various methods of getting data into us into our team electronically. And we've definitely been using those more. Um, and it is mostly about getting people comfortable with the security of that. Um, for some reason, lots of people will happily put an unencrypted USB in the post to you, um, but they won't upload something through a secure file transfer. Um, 
So there's been a little bit of sort of education about that and education of the lawyers to say, tell your client not to send a hard drive to your house. Tell them to talk to us first about the data. Um, One of the other things is sort of the collaboration between the teams. And we're really lucky in that our data projects group, we sit right in the middle of our litigation department in our office. Um, People know where to find us, um, for better or worse. They know where we are and can come around and ask us questions. And it's not quite so convenient when we're not all um, in a room together or on the same corridor. And making sure that we can still collaborate with people effectively or get them to ask the questions that they want to ask is really important and we've had a really big push about making sure that the members of our team are in really close contact with our lawyers not just on active cases the lawyers where we know they get the type of work that we are best suited to helping them with so we go to a lot of um you know, coffee breaks and coffee mornings with people to make sure that they're in the loop with what we're doing and we're in the loop with the kind of cases that they have and how we can help. One of the big things we've done with our review platform as well is customize it to allow more collaboration actually in the platform rather than through email or through spreadsheets, which can be the, you know, the bane of your life if you're trying to track things in a spreadsheet. And the 60 different versions and everyone has a different version open and you're not even, you're not sure where to update anything. So we've moved a lot of that into actually our review platform by customizing how it works. And that's allowed us to do different types of projects in our review platform as well that maybe aren't the traditional kind of e-discovery cases we would have been doing even say a year ago. But because we've upped the ease to collaborate within the platform, we're actually able to do more exciting and more different types of projects than we would have been able to do before, just because we've made it easier for the lawyers to do it in relativity than to do it somewhere else. Yeah, no, that's that's all good points. Um, and so lastly, Rachel, I wanted to ask you a little bit kind of more on that and on the trends that that you think are coming around. So e-discovery has changed so much in the past five years that we're always looking at what will the next five years be? And then there's there's so many different aspects from the hosting to the processing to AI and all the changes in between. What do you think are the trends coming around the corner um, in the next five years? Is is there anything that you think we should look out for? Is there anything you think maybe is not going to be around in the next five years? Anything um, that you can just guide us on that? Yeah. So one of the things that I see more and more is e-discovery professionals, not only working in e-discovery, but working in other areas as well. And I think it's because e-discovery a sort of uh, an area of legal technology is maybe like the most sophisticated area of legal technology, but it means that e-discovery professionals are also some of the most sophisticated legal technology professionals. And that's sort of bleeding out into other areas. Um, A lot of my peers and colleagues were really involved in bringing other types of legal tech into firms. So 
after having brought e-discovery technology into our firm, um, I'm really involved in looking at other kinds of technology that we might invest in for other parts of the firm because I know how to bring it in. I know what we need to have done beforehand to prepare. And I know what kind of resources and planning you need to make the technology successful. I also see a lot of my peers, um, you know, we're getting more involved in things like data privacy or information governance. And those are really, I suppose, obvious areas for e-discovery professionals to have more input in and to uh, share our expertise because obviously data privacy is a huge part of what we do in e-discovery and understanding where data is. Can we, you know, can we take it and put it in, in our e-discovery platform? Is that is that allowed? Um, are we going to get in trouble for doing that? Is there any particular considerations we have about that data um, from different jurisdictions that we need to be aware of? So data privacy is, I think, something that is growing pretty rapidly as an area for legal technology to innovate. And I think e-discovery professionals are in a really good position to capitalize on that. And I do see it happening already. Similarly, with things like um, AI in contract management or in other parts of um, legal practice, uh, as I mentioned before, things like case management software, we're in a really good position to input on that because we know how to make legal technology a success. And I think that e-discovery professionals who don't have some sort of stake in other legal technology or other areas like information governance, privacy, uh, contract AI, I think is going to become rarer because our skills are just so valuable to input into those areas. They're always going to be in demand. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I feel like I learned a lot and uh, I think this is a really interesting conversation for everybody. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, Rachel, real quick, while we're still um, on this, just a quick question. Do people constantly come up to you and say, where's Ryan Gosling? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not as often as you might think. I have had fan mail before. Um, Someone was spamming every combination of rachel.mcadams at hotmail.com that they could find. Oh my gosh. So I did have fan mail um, and I was disappointed when I realized it wasn't really meant for me. um, Yeah. Yeah. Occasionally. Maybe now after this podcast, you'll actually receive real fan mail. Yeah. Maybe I will. Fingers crossed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Talked to Rachel McAdams, not the star from The Notebook, Rachel McAdams from ANL. What did you, what were your tech takeaways? I mean, I, I think if there was an Academy Award to be given out in <laughs> e-discovery, this one would go to Rachel McAdams at, at ANL. <laughs> nice. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I think she she speaks a lot about 
e-discovery and and I like the litigation support aspect of it because I think a lot of people we've brought on the show are coming from, you know, a company side. And then when you're coming from the law firm side, it's different when we're talking to lawyers and we're talking to people that work for the platform or work for the different product. And so I loved her point of view being sort of in that middle position between not being the lawyer and not being the the e-discovery specialist on the platform side, but instead being the true specialist and the on the litigation support side for the firm. And I think it was very interesting to hear that side. Yeah, sorry, I was deep in thought. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was so interesting to me too. Hated it. Loved it. Can't tell how I feel. That was your response. That's how I <laughs> No, I feel like I learned a lot. Um you know, even in some of the weeds of it, you know, kind of going through how to design an efficient workflow, how to kind of share communications and, and all of that. And I feel like that was really helpful and useful. I agree. I think Rachel could also teach. She she would be great at training people on e-discovery. If we had hmm. an e-discovery training episode, and maybe we should do that one day, I think she would be great to come on and, and sort of train because she clearly has the knowledge, but she's also able to speak to it, which I think is, is difficult in this field to, mm-hmm. to do a little bit of both. Yeah, absolutely. So Laura, where can people find us if they want to learn more about us and our guests and that tech pod in general? I think you mean when they want to know more. And when you <laughs> want to know more about That Tech Pod, please check us out at www.thattechpod.com. Follow us on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's right. Under That Tech Pod. Uh, like us, subscribe to us. Uh, can I do this over? I fucked it all up. Thank you. <laughs> if you would like to... <sighs> Please. Ch- okay. 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 Mm-hmm. Ask me the question one more time, please. I- I've totally fucked up. So Laura, if people are more interested in that tech pod and want to learn more about us and our guests, where can they go? I think it's when people want to hear more about that tech pod, they can check us out on www.thattechpod.com. Please follow us on LinkedIn under that tech pod. Reach out to us, send us an email, ask us to be on our show, suggest people to be on our show, or please suggest any topics you'd like to hear about or questions you may have at thattechpod at gmail.com. Or send us fan mail. We would love to receive some fan mail. If you're looking to reach out to Rachel McAdams or hear more about her or anyone else at ANL or from the notebook, you may also <laughs> reach out to us uh, and we'll happily read your fan mail. If you're looking for a way to help us out, we have a really easy and free way and time, uh, time sensitive way. <laughs> time. No. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Non time consuming way. Um Hold on. If you're looking for a way to help us out, we have a really easy and, you know, I think a really fun way to do it. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five star review and also write us a a little comment to say, you know, whether you loved the podcast, whether you hated it. Uh, You could be as mean as you want as long as you give us the five star review because that helps the algorithm in Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. And, uh, you know, it just helps show your support. So we would appreciate that so much. Yeah, thank you. And, and Gabby, you're right. That does sound fun. So everyone get over there and, and get into this excitement. 